Well, good morning again and welcome to Trinity. For those of you here with us in person, welcome to those who are with us online. We're glad that you have chosen to be with us this day. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the last chapter, or excuse me, the last, well, I guess in a way it's the last chapter of the Bible. It's the last book of the Bible, Revelation. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to jump to the very first verse of Revelation chapter 8. I'll explain that later, but we're going to read all of 6 and then the very first verse of chapter 8. As you're turning there, we are in a series in Revelation focused on the return of the king, but also helping us see that Revelation is here for our encouragement to hold on. When the world feels overwhelming and, and, and just tossed up and tumultuous, when we feel opposition and rejection and ridicule, and when we see ourselves and the things of our faith marginalized, what do we do in those moments and how do we wrestle with that? And Revelation is a good guide for us to hold on. So let's, um, let's hold on together as we start to get into the, some of the crazy stuff <laughs> of Revelation. Let's read all of chapter 6 and then the first verse of chapter 8. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living, third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and look, behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones of the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains 
calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For their great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Then chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Guys, we come to a very overwhelming, challenging passage. We ask for your spirit to be at work in the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing, the trusting, and the clinging to of your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Revelation is not a puzzle to solve, but a picture to behold. Perhaps you remember me saying that at the beginning of our series back in the fall. It was an illuminating moment for me when I came across that statement back in my seminary days. I sat with it for a moment. So simple, so clarifying, so disarming to something that seems so intimidating. Revelation. As we move into a lengthy, highly symbolic, confusing glimpse over the things of history and to the very end, let us do so with a posture of one slowly weaving through the Boston Museum of Fine Arts rather than sitting at a table frantically trying to figure out a cipher. We might find that we gain way more with the posture of the museum rather than the table of a cipher. As I said last week, we have entered into the second prolonged vision that John the Apostle received while abandoned to a prison island of Patmos. Chapters 4 through 16 are this long extended second vision. In this section, we have some interesting parallels and a couple of interludes. These interludes that we will find in Revelation are for our encouragement. They come in very dire moments, very hard moments, and they bring real-time encouragement to the people of God. So we'll hit those interludes specifically. But these parallels are fascinating. First, there are three parallel sets of sevens in this section of Revelation 4 through 16. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Each set deal with the same thing in principle, the unfolding of history under the ruling King Jesus. Some interesting features about these three sets of seven parallels. First of all, seven, again, a very highly symbolic number in the Bible, meaning completeness. So we're getting in a symbolic fashion a complete picture, if you will, of the unfolding of history. Each of these sets of seven intensify as they unfold. They get more intense as they're unfolding, and each set intensifies more than the last set. So the seven seals are intense, the seven... um, 
Trumpets are more intense, and the seven bowls are the most intense. Second, each set ends in glory, if you will. History unfolds, Christ returns, justice and vindication are established, and eternity is ushered in. This makes any reading of this section with a sequential chronological reading nearly impossible. History ends in the most unavoidable way each time. There's no way to take it chronologically. Rather, each set tells us the whole story of history from different angles of intensities. Second, what we see about history, of, of the history of days in this section, is that we are to be way more mindful of the kind of days we're looking at rather than figuring out the number of days. It's more about the quality of days rather than the quantity of, quantity of days. What is history going to be like? This means that what we read in Revelation happens again and again and again throughout history. Not just as indicators of the quote-unquote end times. It means there will be many historical displays of what we read. So we don't have to sweat over the details of current events. This is the way it unfolds. Or just simply put, this is the way. Understanding these two things together, these parallels, telling us the unfolding of history, and that they're really more about helping us understand the kind of days rather than the number of days, will help us see that the unfolding of history under King Jesus will be filled with all sorts of things throughout them, that you and I, we shouldn't be surprised or dismayed or feel defeated. Because Jesus is in control. As hard as it might feel at times, Jesus, King Jesus, is in control. And because King Jesus is in control, you and I, we can live with hope right now in a life is hard, evil is real world. You can live with real, tangible hope right now. And so let's consider our first of these three parallels, the seven seals, and it is an unfolding of history. And the unfolding of history shows us a number of things. First, the unfolding of history shows the days of history are hard. The days of history are hard. Secondly, we're going to find that the unfolding of history shows the hard days will end. But that's not necessarily where all our hope rests and reside, because thirdly, we'll see the hope in days that are hard. So as we move through these seven seals, my hope is that we will get to hope. But we have some some work to get there first. The days of history are hard. And what's hard, we'll see here in these verses, but ultimately what's hard is that God permits life to be hard and evil to be real. That's hard. 
And God permits it. Let's get back to that hard statement by navigating through some of chapter 6. First is, we need to know and understand that King Jesus is in charge. All right? Verse 1 of chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Stop there. Who is in charge in this vision that John is getting? King Jesus. We considered that last week. The scroll that Jesus is opening up is written on both sides. It represents God's purpose for all of history. And all that is it's written on both sides, meaning it's all of what God intends for history. And it's got these seals. And, and the problem last week that we considered was that there was no one in heaven and on earth that could open it up, look into it, and fulfill what God purposed, except for one, and that's King Jesus. He's the only one who can take the scroll, only one who can open it, only one who can fill all of God's purpose for history. The only one. So here we have him with the scroll in hand. As he's opening it up, we see that he is definitely in charge. But verse 1 continues. If you recall from last week, you'll need to look back into Revelation 5 and 4. We see that there are sort of a structure and glory in heaven, in the throne room of God. And the closest to the throne, we find four living creatures. And each of the four living creatures does King Jesus' bidding. Verse 1 continues. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And as we read through this portion uh, just a few minutes ago, we heard each one of those four living creatures say, Come, and then another horseman arrived. So they were very involved doing what King Jesus obviously had them to do. And then we see a key realization occur during the second um, uh, seal, and that is found in verses 3 and 4, simply put, its rider was permitted. King Jesus is in control. God is permitting life to be hard and evil to be real. That's uncomfortable for us, isn't it? God allows the hard things of this life, that evil is real, and He does so for His purposes, which we see throughout Scripture and also in Revelation intently, is, includes judgment and justice and vindication and sanctification. That is, God allows these things to happen, permits them to happen, to accomplish these layers of purposes that He has set forth. You and I, for us, that feels overwhelming. It's In fact, it's mysterious to us. I once had a seminary professor say, God uses sin sinlessly. But that's really hard for us to understand. It's a great quip. I was like, oh, that's a good one. And then I thought about it. I'm like, wait, huh? But it's a mystery to us. Our perspective of God and the things of God and of His ways and thoughts and, and, and works is always going to be limited. And that's okay. But it is going to be limited. It's like if, if all of us got into a big old caravan and we got to western Nebraska and then we decided to write back to family and friends here in Nashua what the Rocky Mountains are like. We got to western Nebraska. We can see the contours and the shape of the Rocky Mountains. But how, how much detail can we really send back? 
not quite like being at the top at the heart of the Rocky Mountains with John Denver singing our hearts out. We're not in the Rocky Mountains. We're not at the height of the Rocky Mountains. We're in western Nebraska in terms of our limited ability. Sorry, western Nebraska. (laughs) God is giving us the shape and the contour of what He's doing here in His Word. And it helps us understand that there is way more to God than we could possibly fully comprehend. So as I said before, take what we do know clearly to help us understand what is hard to understand. And the character of God does not change. The sovereignty of God does not fade. The kindness of God does not dissipate. The grace of God does not run dry. The mercy of God is not contingent on anything outside of the character of God. In the areas in which we struggle to understand God, we speak to our own selves the truths of what we do know. Gives us an anchor and settles our feet. We also know that these four horsemen, though, that we see here in Revelation 6, are really picking up some imagery and a vision that a prophet got in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah 6, 1 says, And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and beheld, behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. And so the prophet here is getting a similar kind of vision about things that are way down the road for him. And the vision that John is getting in Revelation 6 is sort of picking up off of that. And we're finding that both contexts help us understand what might be going on. One, the context in Zechariah is one of judgment on the idolatrous people of God. It's a context of justice over God's enemies and a a context of vindication of God's name. So similarly, the unfolding of history will carry with it those kinds of features. Gives us, again, the shape and contour of Revelation 6. And as we do that, as we consider that, we find that life, the days of history are hard. Let's work through some of these things together quickly. We come to these four horsemen in the first one in verse 2. Let's look again. And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Here we have a white horse out for conquest. Scholars have debated over who's, on, who's the rider on the white horse. Some say Christ because when we get to Revelation 19, we see Christ riding a white horse. Others say it's not Christ because Christ is in charge and he's dictating what's going on and he's allowing these things to take shape, which is where I side. This isn't Christ on the horse. This is consistent with the other three horsemen accomplishing the things that they are to accomplish. Essentially, the point is the days are history are hard because there's always someone seeking conquest. There's always someone seeking the fight. There's always a nation out for more. That leads us to the second horseman, the one that's read in verses 3 and 4. When I opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. 
so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So out comes civil unrest, wars, conflicts, genocide, the atrocities of a fallen world are permitted. There will be a time when justice will come, but until that time, war will break out. Look at the third horse, horseman, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and a three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and wine. This black horse brings about famine. In this day and age, wheat and barley represented the food needed to survive. That is, the outworking of those who want to conquer and bring war, will ultimately be famine in the land. And then that leads us to the fourth one, where all of it culminates, and that's the pale horse. Verses 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Culmination of these horses, horsemen is death. And there are, over the pages of history, multiple realities of this throughout history. In fact, there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, we, all, we, we, we feel this very viscerally right now because it's happening right now. One who's come to conquest, bringing war. Famine will soon follow, and there's death abroad right now in Ukraine. But there's also a long list of those kinds of conquests, and those kinds of wars, and those kinds of famines, and that kind of death. Syria, Afghanistan, Aleppo, Georgia. I mean, it, we, and that's just recent, and we can keep going decade after decade, or decade prior decade prior decade. And we can keep going back over the pages of history. This just keeps happening because the days of history are hard. Do not be surprised or dismayed or feel defeated. The days of history are hard. And then they get harder for the believer. Let's look at the fifth seal, verses 9 through 11. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? When they, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The four horsemen affect all peoples everywhere, affecting the whole world. Yet there is another level of hardship for the believer, and that's persecution that leads to martyrdom, this fifth seal. And this is the expected experience of the believer. This is very hard for you and I in the Western culture here in the United States to really grasp. Yet this is the expected experience of the believer. As early as the second century, a leader named Tertullian said this most famous statement, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
that the ongoing expected experience of believers was their death, and that was going to be used by God to continue to grow the church throughout history. So as early as the second century, they, they were seeing and understanding the dynamic of what it meant to be a follower of Christ in a hard world. Well, it's still going on today. Today, according to Open Doors, more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution, especially those that lead to death, and discrimination for their faith. One in seven worldwide. One in five in Africa. Two out of five in Asia. This is a reality. And Revelation 6 is unfolding that reality for us. Like a doctor sitting next to you in his office, explaining to you the many layers and difficulties and challenges to the medical issue that you're there for. But doing so, so that you better understand what life will look like and how to handle all that comes with it. Hard news, isn't it? To get that? And yet news that you need because there's a certain way that you are then to live. Right? Similarly, Revelation 6 is doing that for us. Because what it does is it corrects our expectations. Life is hard. We live in a harsh world that's, that's days are filled with war, conflict, famine, and death. No one can escape those realities. While you and I live in relative comfort, we have seen some of those comforts diminish over the last few years. But make no mistake, life is hard. Secondly, evil is indeed real. God's people will be fiercely opposed. The world will seek to distract us with a buffet of idolatries or crush us with the fist of opposition. Either way, both are seeking to dislodge us from holding on. We certainly live where the buffet is right now, not a fist. Not a fist. If we were to go to the place where the fist of opposition exists, we would not think we have any opposition where we live right now. Just a buffet of idolatry. Let us be careful to not jump too far on our jump to conclusion mat when we face a small bit of difficulty in our culture. Shame on us. What ignorance and arrogance. Our brothers and sisters in this world face a fist that wants to kill them. Let us be careful. Let us also be careful to not make comfort in this world an idol in our heart. Our call is the same as the original audience of Revelation. It is a call to faithfulness. Hold on. Life is hard. Evil isn't real. It is real. God is in control. Jesus wins. So hold on. You read Revelation 6, and yes, there's a lot that's confusing. But the hardness of our days of history are not. So, friends, hold on. Hold on knowing that the hard days will end. 
hard days will end. Justice and vindication will be inescapable. Cannot be avoided. The sixth seal is focused essentially on those moments of the return of the king. We see King Jesus' return brings about a cataclysmic reckoning. Let's first look at verses 12 through 14. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The return of King Jesus brings about a cataclysmic reckoning, one that is sort of worldwide cosmos impacting. Like there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it in that sense. And we see here in this sixth seal, there's no escaping it. Look at verses 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones And the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You cannot hide from the king. And here we're given the perspective of those on earth, especially those who rejected Jesus in this life. Their view of the return of Jesus, King Jesus, is one of terror because justice for their their rejection and vindication for Jesus' name comes to bear and it is a burden they cannot bear. They'd rather be crushed under the weight of mountains than bear the burden of rejecting Christ. From their perspective, they cry out, Who can stand? But interestingly enough, The believer can say that too. The believer can ask that question. Before you make this seal about an us versus them, we ask the same question. Who can stand? But we have an answer. Psalm 134. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? Just like what we read. In Revelation 6, but ah, there's more. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There is forgiveness. That forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ alone. The one who makes an end of all our sin. Who pays a debt that we could not afford. And all those who trust in Christ, they move from terror to worship. Their question of who can stand is answered. I can because I've been forgiven by the Lamb. And that great fear that once was a dread on my soul has now been transformed into worship because I have been welcomed by God because of my Savior. That makes today a very important day. Today is the day of forgiveness. Today, forgiveness is offered through the gospel. Today, forgiveness is here. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And that last day, it's unavoidable. And you don't want to go in there without Christ. That makes today 
incredibly important. So I don't know where your heart is. I don't know how many times you have heard this message. But I want to stress to you, today is the day. Don't harden your hearts. Today is the day of forgiveness. Today is the day of redemption. Today is the day of salvation. And there's only one place to find it, and that is in Jesus. The king that's coming, unavoidably, unmistakably, is the same king offering you good news. You can be right with him. You can belong to him. You can be redeemed, one of his own, through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. So don't delay. Today is the day. And while it is good for us to see that hard days will come to an end, our hope rests in something even greater than that. We have hope in days that are hard. And that hope is that God is in control and Jesus wins. The days of history are hard. The hard days will end. But the hope we can have now, we can have truly because God is in control and Jesus wins. Imagine with me as we think back over this chapter that we read in chapter 6. The visceral sensation of the hard days of history. Just follow along with me here. Think of the shouts of the conquering madmen. The sounds of war. The cries of anguish and hunger. The mourning over death. Think of the return of King Jesus in which the whole cosmos is flipped into upheaval and the whole world is crying out somewhere to hide. These days of history are so hard, but they're also so loud and disorienting. The sounds of history are overwhelming. What happens when these days end? Silence. Chapter 8, verse 1. Seventh seal. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, if I don't address the half hour thing, many of you, like me, will get fixated on that. Half hour? Like literally? Like a half hour? What? What is this? Again, symbolism. The half is more important than the hour, and that is... It's the suddenness of it. It's, it's the suddenness of the very end. The unexpectedness. It's a symbolic expression used throughout the Bible in various ways, but commonly it's just to convey this suddenness. But what about the silence? It's the gravity the presence of God. The world makes a lot of noise. And it can feel very overwhelming. It feels very overwhelming right now. Two years of a pandemic. The hints of a potential global conflict. The economies throughout the world have big question marks next to them. We feel weary, worn down. A lot of our relationships have changed over the last two years. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? Feels overwhelming, feels very loud. And then God shows up. 
and there's silence. The relief, the rest, the peace, the end. God appears, and the silence is one of all. Of all. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Hope in days that are loud and hard is found in the silence of heaven. God is in control, and ultimately everything is going to be okay. Nothing is happening that surprises him or overwhelms him. Even the hard stuff, the hardest stuff, still has to submit to him. Now, that doesn't make it easy, but we can have hope. As 1 Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's no puzzle to solve. The days of history are hard And the picture we behold may look bleak at first, but don't rush past it. The artist has more for you to see. Hope in these days that are hard will be joy when these days end. So friends, hold on. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would indeed help us to hold on to help us to understand the unfolding of history, its challenge, its sufferings, its hardships. Help us to see that you indeed are in control and that there will be a day in which justice prevails and vindication comes. And that day will be filled with silence and worship. May that bring to us a tangible hope now, May it strengthen our faith and our resolve to hold on until that great and glorious day when our faith moves to sight. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand as we give all honor and praise to our King of glory. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory.
Amen. What a fitting song to sing in response to the Word of God. Uh, we are so glad that you were with us this morning. Hopefully you grab one of these welcome flyers on the way in, on the back. You see some upcoming events, a little QR code to scan if you're new and help us connect with you. One of the things I wanted to highlight is a couple of Sundays down the road in this month, March 27th, we're going to have a fellowship meal and dessert auction here in this room following the service that morning. This is to help us raise the last bit of funds that we need to raise to do our Pack Hope experience on Wednesday, April 20th. We've un- we're going to be unveiling more and more as we go, uh, but that's a wonderful opportunity for us to all be working together, serving together to help those in great need throughout the world. In fact, maybe many of the things that we pack, the meals that we pack on our Pack Hope experience will end up, most likely, probably will end up in the U- 